Before I give you my text, let me give you just some uh, introductory thoughts about this, the righteousness of God as a gift of faith, or uh, sometimes it's called justification. Um, the Greek word, the root is dikaios, and it's the same word if you see, especially in the book of Romans, if you see the word righteousness or the word justify, the verb, it, it's, it, it comes from the same Greek word, justify and righteous, or justification and righteousness. It's the same exact Greek word, and I'm not sure why they translate it differently. I'm sure they had good reasons, but I'm just telling you that that's the same Greek word. This idea of being justified by faith, Paul said it is the power of God unto salvation. That is, it is the righteousness of God revealed and brings tremendous power to save with it. Martin Luther, in the 16th century, after he had been wrestling and struggling to be right with God and have his conscience saved, he finally discovered what he called the gate to paradise. And it was the doctrine of justification by faith. Thomas Cranmer, Luther was in Germany, and over in England, Thomas Cranmer, ultimately gave his life for this truth, said that it was the foundation of the Christian faith. And Calvin, John Calvin, who would have been in Switzerland about 30, 20, 30 years later, said it is the hinge, justification by faith, is the hinge upon which everything turns. There are two aspects to it. Uh, that we'll look at for just a little bit this morning. The righteousness of God as a gift which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This is our standing before God. Uh, Talks about the righteousness of God, and we've talked here, we've shared with you a little bit, maybe a word of review might be helpful. But we talked about Christ as our high priest representing us before God. That we are here on earth, our performance and lives fluctuate. Sometimes we do it, we're good Christians, and sometimes we are flops. But true Christians will recover. uh, But all the time, Christ is our high priest in heaven. You remember how the high priest wore the names of the children of Israel on his breastplate, and he went into the Holy of Holies and represented the Israelites before God. They were accepted not on the basis of their lives, but on the basis of the perfection and life and qualifications of that high priest. If the high priest made it through, they were safe because they were safe based on his qualifications, not theirs. In the same way, Christ as our high priest has entered into the presence of God on our behalf. We are saved by his perfect representation there, not by our performance here. So we're looking away from ourselves unto him. 
And, and that's actually healthy, by the way. You all know that the best way to be depressed is to examine yourself. Constantly look, how am I doing as a Christian? Um, and actually, uh, modern-day psychology will often have you examine yourself, talk about yourself, and go into your past, and they're looking for some resolution or solution based on your past. Here's the gospel difference, and that is we're looking for a solution not in ourselves, but in another. Not in what we have done or what's happened to us, but what has been done and what has happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. So we're looking away And I think that's healthy, not to be self-occupied, but to be Christ-occupied. Amen? Be Christ-occupied. So Hebrews 4.14 says, We have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens. Not just a high priest. There's only one high priest, but ours is not only just a high priest, he's the great high priest. Let me give you this verse. This is John 16. John chapter 16. I believe we have this for the, on the screen. But notice what Jesus said. He said, it's to your advantage, Jesus talking about his ascension, that I go away. For if I do, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, he will come. And, and it is to our advantage because the Holy Spirit is not less than Jesus. He's the Spirit of Jesus. And he's able now to be everywhere in his fullness all the time. Amen? Now, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is now everywhere. He's not just in the land of Israel on the sea, near the Sea of Galilee. He's here in Michigan in Flint. Shocker. But yes. And Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is everywhere as to our advantage And not only, see, when he was with the disciples, he was outside them. But now Jesus said, he shall be with you and he shall be in you. See, that's to our advantage. I need God within me, not just God beside me in order for transformation. So he's saying, I'm I'm, uh, sending him, this is to your advantage, and he will convict or, I like the translation convince, some of the, they do, do it different ways, but I like the, the word convince a little better. A convict doesn't seem to have much of a future. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to make you a convict. <laughs> We're already convicts. We're already guilty. He, he's called the spirit of grace, not the spirit of guilt. Amen. Y'all with me on that? All right. So he's going to come. He's going to convince the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin. What is the sin he convicts us of or convinces us of? The sin is we haven't believed in Jesus. We're still in our sins. We're still guilty. There is a solution. So the Holy Spirit will come and show you your need of Jesus. And that's a miracle. When a person can say, my righteousness and my good life is not enough to get me to heaven. I can't balance it out. 
See, the Muslims believe that, that Allah sends an angel, that there's an angel besides each, each Muslim, and he's recording everything he does. And that at the end of time, when we all stand before Allah, that he will then look at your record, see if your good balances your bad. Well, we're not Muslims. Amen. We're Christians. We look away from ourselves, away from our record to his record. Hallelujah. So he has to convince us. It's a miracle to be convinced that I am a sinner in need of a Savior outside myself. That's a miracle. So if you've, if you've felt that and experienced that, then God has done a miracle in your life. Now look at the next thing. He says in verse uh, 10, concerning righteousness, he's going to convince of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. A couple of points here. Why does he have to convince someone of righteousness? Who's he convincing? Uh, you. Notice it's changed the second person there. You disciples. Up there in verse 8 and 9, he's talking about con- convincing them of sin. That's the lost person. But now in verse 9, see, the person who's been convinced of sin, now after they become a Christian, they have to be convinced of righteousness. And one is as difficult as the other. You can't get a sinner to believe he's a sinner, and you can't get a Christian to believe he's righteous. But, so that's the two big miracles the Holy Spirit does. Now, so he comes and he convinces you disciples of righteousness. Now, notice the connection, though. How does he convince us of righteousness? Because I go to the Father. What is, what's the connection? Well, where is your righteousness? It is in Jesus before God. He is your representative high priest. He is your righteous standing before God. And so he says, I'm going to convince you of righteousness. Not yours, He'd have a hard time with that. Even the Holy Spirit would have a hard time with that. But he convinces you of righteousness because Jesus has gone to the Father. That is, your righteousness is in heaven. And how great this is, dear people, because uh, you, you then can get the idea that I am not saved by looking inward or by trying harder, but by trusting Him... And it gives you, it's the basis of your assurance. Your assurance is based on His acceptance for you, on your behalf. Your answered prayer, when you go to pray, how do you pray? Oh God, I know I hadn't had a good week. And I got mad at my husband today. And he got mad at me and it was his fault. And, and you, we have to confess, and we're very sin conscious when we come into the presence of God, and he's saying, I know all that. How about asking God for blessing based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> It'll change your prayer life. I mean, there's so many things that are connected to this, 
And it will make you more stable because Hebrews 13, 5 says, Jesus, before the Father, on your behalf, is the same yesterday, today, forever. You are not the same today, this moment as you were an hour ago. So if your righteousness rests on you, woe is you. But if it's rest in him, he's the same and will always be the same. So our salvation is secured through him. Hallelujah. So uh, I'm having a good time here. Um, and remember what we talked about uh, also about the righteousness of God. Uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And let me say a word about this. Um, Give me the next one up here. Uh, We have a righteousness before God through Jesus Christ as our high priest. Now, this is one aspect of it. Now, before we go on, I want to comment on this. Um. The problem with our righteousness, even if it's good, let's say you had a good day. I mean, you got up that morning, had your prayer time, Bible reading, you, were, you fixed your ungrateful husband who complained about the eggs, and you didn't say one word back. On the way to work, someone cut in front of you, you didn't honk your horn. You arrive and you're like, hallelujah, made it to work. All day long, you're sweet, kind, come home, write your tithe check to the church of Jesus, send it, and you even put a little extra in there for the, for the new building we're trying to put up. And so you're, you go to pray that night and you're like, cool. Mm, the problem is your currency is wrong. Here, here's an illustration, and I read this, I forget where, I, forget, uh, I think it's Dr. James Boyce told this. He said, you have to think about it like this. Let's say that you're in the federal penitentiary. And in order to keep the prisoners distracted, the government brings in a lot of monopoly programs. Everybody says, let them play Monopoly. So what the prisoners do, they come up with this idea, I'm going to use Monopoly money, and there's so many games that they take all the Monopoly money, and they start using it as currency within the prison system. And, I mean, it's like they just take it and buy drugs or buy cigarettes or buy food or buy whatever they're wanting to have at the time, and they pay in Monopoly money. And it becomes the currency of of the prison. But then one day a guy gets out and he takes his Monopoly money straight to the bank and he wants to cash it in for other money. He lays down $10,000 in Monopoly money. That's hard-earned cash. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to call the police and put him back into prison. (laughs) Uh, Why? Because it's the wrong currency. Now, when we talk about Romans 1.17, it's the righteousness of God revealed. It doesn't say it's the perfect righteousness of man. 
There's not actually any such thing anyway, but the righteousness which Jesus Christ brings and takes to God on our behalf is the righteousness of the divine Savior. That's why he means 2 Peter 1.1. He has given us, God has given us an equal standing by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that righteousness Jesus brings is the righteousness of God, the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's divine righteousness. And you adding your best works to it does not make you more accepted any more than when you go to pay your mortgage, let's say it's $500, and you're saying, okay, here's a $500 check, and by the way, here's a $10 bill from the Monopoly company. Just want to put that on top of it. It doesn't add. It doesn't help. Do you think God's going to look at Christ's righteousness, which is divine, and then say, you know, I'm so glad you read your Bible today and did that extra chapter. I'm just going to add that to the merits that get you accepted into heaven forever. So when we look at this, we're talking about the very righteousness of God. It's divine, wrought out in earth by the divine Savior. And then when he went to the cross, he paid for your sins past, present, and future. And then when he rose again, he presented his righteousness on your behalf. So that's just wonderful. As somebody said, that's the most exciting news I ever heard. Hallelujah. Problem now sometimes is we get too used to it. Oh, let us not do it, dear friend. There's another aspect to it. Uh, this idea of the righteousness of God, and that is the verb itself. When we talk about the gift of righteousness, uh, give me the next, next one up. And that's when you go to the verb to declare righteous, which is usually translated as justify in the book of Romans. Now that's a little bit different Because the nuance there, even though it's the same Greek word, dikaios, the root, is the same, but the the idea there is something God says about you. The verb form of dikaios means to declare that you are righteous. It is a judicial term and it's used in the courtrooms of the first century to pronounce you not guilty. It's the final verdict. Um, It's an acquittal. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. He's the judge and it's Christ who died. So who's going to charge us? Who's going to bring in the court of heaven a charge against us because you have received the declaration ahead of time that you are not guilty. Uh, And and let me just share this with you on, on this word justify or not justify. 
The, <clears throat> the opposite of justify is condemn. This is two Greek words, kata, krina, or krima. Krina means to judge or evaluate or criticize, critic, critique. It's, it comes from that. And kata means is a prefix. It means down. And it was used of the verdict in a trial that was handed down. Now look at, and let's put up Romans 8.1. This is an awesome verse. There is therefore now no condemnation, kata krina, the verdict of guilty. See, kata, down, the verdict came down against you. There is therefore now none of that to those who are in Christ Jesus. So so you view it like this. The verb, the, the, the addition that the verb brings to it is that one day we stand before God. And there's this big judgment. Revelation 20 calls it the great white throne judgment. And everything will be laid out. Ugh. Romans chapter 2 said the day in which God will judge the secrets of men. Ugh. Uh, And since there's no time frame, no time limit, it will be as if you did on that morning, even though they may have been 50 years ago. And all that record comes up. Now the judgment, let's say you never sinned and you did all good, it would be not guilty, the verdict came down, justified. That verdict, somewhere in the future... When you come to Christ and put your faith in Christ, that future verdict is brought into the present time and you embrace it now by faith. You know what the most important word in this verse is? The word now. There is therefore now no condemnation. The verdict has already been passed on to Jesus Christ. You've already been found guilty and executed in Jesus Christ. Now when the verdict comes, there is no verdict for you in the future. It's already come down. So therefore, in Christ Jesus, when we come to Him, we put our faith in Him and we're in union with Him and by the Holy Spirit, then that, that makes us not only righteous before God, but we have a righteous verdict that's already been passed on us. You will be no more secure in heaven than you are secure on earth as a Christian because He is your security and your permanence. Now there's nothing like that you will ever hear in any religion on the face of the earth except in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, what that means is we can go to heaven. Hallelujah. That's where I want to go. Amen, amen. All right. Let me see what else I got. Uh, so here is, here is the summary. We are justified. We are acquitted in the verdict which Jesus received from the Father. 
Men put him to death, but when he bore our sins, he was actually righteous. So God raised him from the dead and vindicated him. Now, the word vindicate is the same word, dakaios, justify. He justified him. Uh, in fact, give me 1 Timothy 3.16. Let me show you what it says about Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.16. It says, Great indeed, we confess, is this mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated, dikaios, justified. In fact, the King James Version actually translates that word justified. He was justified by the Spirit. In other words, what God did with Jesus is raise him up. Why? Because God declared him not guilty of everything he was accused of. He vindicated him before men and angels and devils, and he had put him at the right hand where he belonged. He vindicated him. He justified him. Now, we're justified by faith. It's the only way we could be justified. In his resurrection, in his exaltation, we have been linked to his vindication and justification. In his exaltation and enthronement, Ephesians 2, 1, we are seated with him in the heavenlies. What happened to him, God views as mine and my inheritance in him when I come to him in faith. So we are justified and acquitted in the verdict which Jesus received from the Father. My union and covenant with Jesus Christ makes us one. And what God declared about him, he declares about me. And when God the Father vindicated his Son before men and angels, through faith I share that same justification. So both at one and the same time, I am in him declared righteous here, acquitted of all my sins, the verdict is already in, and God has said, you are accepted and received and embraced as my own child. I am represented there, now, and forever. And the Holy Spirit has to teach us that and convince us of that because we are by nature legalistic. We tend by nature to need to earn it. But it's beyond earning what God gives us. One other quick verse. This verse blows my mind. And I studied it a couple of months ago. I looked it over from one end to the other in context and text. Give me a First John. I'll just uh, give you this one. <laughs> Because it's such an incredible verse. Like, what? All right. He's talking about God's love to us as it dwells in us, flows through us to others, and, and how... But he's not talking about our love to God. He's talking about God's love to us. And, and this, this experience of it... Um, prepares us for that judgment day and takes away the fear of judgment. And then he abruptly puts this statement in. Because, he says, as he is, so are you in this world. I've got to back up and read that again. As he, Jesus, is. See, in the light of judgment, 
See, uh, and one commentary said, just stay with the verb tenses. Just stay with the tenses and you'll get it. Not as he is we ought to be or ought to strive to be. Not as he is we will one day be. No, no, no. As he is. How is he, by the way? Is he doing okay? Is he accepted by the Father and embraced as a son? Is he totally righteous before God right now? And, and, and everything he asks, he gets? Ah, oh, as he is. As he is. So are we. Now that would be enough. That'd be shouting ground right there if you're, if you're the kind to shout, and I ain't thinking you are. <laughs> okay, okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> but that's shouting ground if you stopped right there, as he is, so are we. But you know what just plucks the turnip? I mean, this slices the tomato. This is it. As he is, so are we in this world. That means right now, sitting right there, God views you as Jesus. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Y'all, pardon me! while I shout a little bit about Jesus and what He has done. Somebody ought to shout. Unbelievable. Not really unbelievable. He calls us to faith, so I don't want to say it's unbelievable. (laughs) That would be bad. But... What a verse. So now you know why I said, say, what? So there are two aspects of our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness before the Father, and also we are declared righteous, that is, vindicated in Him, and have a not guilty verdict that's already been handed down the moment of faith in Jesus. The judgment is passed. There is therefore now no judgment, no guilty verdict for those in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Now, that's my introduction. (laughs) Uh, Be comforted, though. It is a short sermon. But turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Romans 3, 21. Because here is the thing. I want to be... I said, Lord, help me to be simple in this. I want to be understood. So I'm going to ask three questions. One, how do we get this righteousness? How do we get it? Two, what does it cost us? And three, why does it matter? So those are the three questions. I want to try to answer them fairly quickly, okay? One, how do we get it? Romans 3, 21. But now, 
is compared to chapter 1 and 2 and in chapter 3 when he talks about the works of the law and judgment on Gentiles, judgment on Jews. But now, he says, Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God has come apart from the law. It's not, it's not the same thing as law. Although it is witnessed to, talked about, prophesied, predicted in the law and the prophets. Romans 3.21, verse uh, Romans 3.22 now. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and as if to emphasize it, to all who believe. How do we get it? By putting faith in Jesus Christ. I believe what he did on the cross. I believe he died for my sins. I believe God forgives me because of what he did. And I believe he rose again. And I believe he represents me before God. I believe he's all my righteousness. He's divine and human. And he's everything I'll ever need to be right with God. And I pray in his name. And I trust in his name. And I confess his name. And I believe one day he'll come again and take me home. So it's through faith... In Jesus Christ, that's how we get it. Number two question, what does it cost? Romans 3, 24. And we are justified, this is English Standard Version, we are justified by His grace as a what? Gift. Hallelujah. Can this get any better? (laughs) See, there is nothing as great as this. And it's free. It's free. It's a gift. So, the third question, why does it matter? Chapter 3, verse 25. And I'm going to give you, uh, or Paul, I think, gives to us um, four very important reasons why this way of salvation is so important and why it matters. Romans 3.25 Whom God put forward, talking about Christ, as a propitiation by His blood uh, to be received by faith. This was to show, here's uh, number one. Give me that, give me that uh, next one up. The next, with the four points at the end. Yeah. Why does it matter? In verse 25, God put, it for, put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. Remember when God told Adam, if you eat from the truth, you will die? He didn't die immediately. Well, what's, what's with God? I thought, you know, does he threaten and not carry through? Does he grade on the curve? Did the blood of bulls and goats really take away sins in the sacrificial system? You think if you kill somebody, you can take a lamb and that lamb is worth the price of an individual? What kind of system is that? What about David? David 
took a man's wife, committed adultery, and then had him killed on the front lines. And God let him live. Actually kept him on the throne. That's all in the Old Testament. God, and, and here's what God told David. David, you have caused my name to be blasphemed among Gentiles. Why? Because you did this and I didn't kill you. My holiness didn't burn forth and consume you in a moment. So why is God grading on the curve in the Old Testament? So God's honor and holiness have been tainted in the events of Israel's history. You might remember others such as the judges of Samson, uh, the, the, the judges in the book of Judges and Samson being one of them, and how for 20 years he dilly-dallied with prostitutes. There are others whose lives were shot through with failures. Look at Solomon. But, but God seemed to, be, had to have a high toleration level. So his holiness seems threatened. But when Jesus died on the cross, see, the divine Son of God, all of a sudden God put forward His explanation. That's why I can be so tolerant. Because one who is worthy and capable and whose glory is heavy enough to carry all that weight of sin, I was saving it up because I was going to heap it on Him. So when Jesus died on the cross, God's honor and God's name was vindicated. He's still holy. I get it now. A second thing, verse 27 and 28. What becomes of our boasting? Verse 27, Romans 3, 27. What becomes of our boasting? Well, (laughs) what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, so he puts it. Amen? It's excluded. There's no, you know what there's room in the Christian church for? People praising God. <laughs> there's no room to praise people or self. So that's what he says in verse 27. This way of salvation, why does it matter? It takes all human pride off the table. Anytime, my friend, whether it's Islam or Judaism or even some Roman Catholicism, anytime you add rituals and events and and doings and performance onto the table with Jesus, you're putting the wrong currency on the table. And you will have something that you will try to comfort yourself with that when it comes time to die will not work. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Not to us. Third, it matters because verse 29 and 30. Is God the God of the Jews only? 
Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, Gentiles also. Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. In other words, everybody gets saved the same way. Jew and Gentile. No two-covenant theory here. Y'all ever heard of the dual covenant theory? The Jews have their own covenant. The Christians have their covenant. The new covenant, they have the old covenant. Paul said, no, you don't. You're not going to get saved under the old covenant. There's no two covenants. We're saved by faith. There is one God, one faith, one way, and it's Jesus Christ. You have to come through this door. How many doors into the ark? We'll see this next Sunday, but I'll give you a hint. One. (laughs) Amen. And then a fourth thing is that matters because, look at verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Verse 31. Oh, by no means. We uphold the law. We establish the law. What does Paul mean by that? See, if I try to keep the law, it will always be deficient. Amen. Even the Jews will tell you that. No, we don't completely keep the law. If you try to keep the law, it will always be deficient. But, you say, well, we'll ignore the law. If you ignore the law, the law is then dishonored. It's dishonored. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who perfectly kept the law, both in its external meaning and internal intent, he fully fulfilled it. That that is our righteousness before God. We honor the law. It's kind of like this. I had a wedding at Crossroads Village last week. And I got there and they had a list. Who's on the list? If you're on the list, see, somebody's already paid to use the chapel and so all the people that's paid for you put your name on the list or you don't they do they put your name on the list so I was coming into Crossroads Village and uh, I I heard this other preacher say Pastor Larry I thought hey I know you dude sup so I got there first and Walked up to the window. She's charging everybody, but I said, I'm, in, I'm with the wedding. Okay. Marks me off. Go right on in. Thank you very much. I hardly paused. And the preacher behind me, he said, he said to the lady, he said, I know him. <laughs> and I turned around and I said, I was playing with him, but I said, no, he don't. Charge him double. <laughs> But here's the thing. What if I'd have said, okay, what is it, $10, $5, $6? Here's a dollar. 
It's the best I can do. It's deficient. What if I say I'll ignore it and just go in another way? That's illegal. How have I honored the law if I'm broke and can't pay? You honor the law by trusting and looking to another to pay the full amount of the law. Hallelujah! You've honored and established the law. Every person who says, I'm keeping the law, we're going to keep the Sabbath day, we're going to worship on Saturday. Really? Why? Because it's in the law. Well, he that's going to keep one law, you better keep all the law. You're deficient. You're deficient. Your righteousness is not enough. You've put monopoly money with the currency of, divine, of the divine Godhead. But we come into the presence of God and we say, no, the law is upheld for one upheld it for me and the Father says, come on in. You can come in now. Amen? As he is, so are we in this world. You can talk to him right now. Your, your ticket's paid. Your name is on the list. You say, well, okay, I'm not on the list. Get on the list. <laughs> and I ain't talking about crossroads, amen? You go to God and you say, Lord, help me this day settle this issue. And it's a gift. And you just tell the Father in heaven, I receive this gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ, and I love you for it. Amen, amen, amen. And then let me know, because two weeks from today we're going to baptize. You need to be in that group. Put your faith in Christ and be baptized and follow us as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, church. What a great day. What a great message. What a great word is the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Now I will sing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the day. And what a wonderful word that comes through Jesus Christ. We can't praise you enough. We can't love you enough. We can't give you enough to just say how we appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen.